What does independence mean? A lot of things to a lot of different Albertans. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed and you're watching The Gun Show. The values. You look at Western values in Western society, and these are values we could all relate to, but they're old world values of grit and community and perseverance. It's a place where you can make a living with your back and your hands and a little bit of hard work. And it's a place of opportunity. And I think as Albertans, we're fiercely protective of that. The world's energy crisis has been grabbing newspaper headlines. In a nutshell, we're running short of petroleum resources and the prices are zooming upwards. My colleagues in the government and I have come reluctantly to believe that the price of oil in Canada must go up. This was Alberta. The origin of the Alberta separatist movement begins with the election of Pierre Trudeau as prime minister. It was, it was a deliberate and malicious targeting of the West, which suited Pierre Trudeau just fine, just like it suits Justin Trudeau just fine. Sunny ways, my friends. Blackface. There is an actual hostile government that was Alberta. Why did your dad give everyone in Western Canada the middle finger? Really, in politics, you do have to make uh, big decisions. And whenever you make this big decisions, there's going to be people who agree with it and people who don't disagree with it. Plenty of people want to leave this country. It's not the kind of idea you'd expect to hear from someone who wants to win power and hold power. It's a, it is a radical idea. And you would normalize the discussion. And so maybe Alberta wouldn't have to go because maybe the rest of the country and the rest of the world would say, whoa, don't go. Will you accept these changes instead? That's what happened for Quebec. There's no Maple Leafs west of the Manitoba border. Why do we, why do we have a Maple Leaf by unilateral decision? on the Canadian flag. Think of how the American colonists were in 1775. That's how a lot of Albertans are today. What you just saw there is a trailer for our brand new Rebel News documentary. It's called Ungovernable, Alberta's Quest for Independence. And it examines the roots of the independence movement, the causes of Albertans' sense of disconnection with the rest of Confederation. And it examines different views on what Alberta's relationship with Canada means going forward. Because depending on the Albertan you talk to, independence means something different. It might mean a complete and total separation from Canada. It might mean joining the United States. It might mean just rethinking our relationship within Confederation, sort of in the same way Quebec does. Or it might mean Daniel Smith's Sovereignty Act. Daniel Smith, our new premier, was sworn in just on Tuesday. I'm filming this on Tuesday, so it's new news to me, although you're probably watching it on Wednesday. So getting back to the documentary, the documentary was made by our head of documentaries, Kian Simone, and he's got a very unique take because 
He's not from here. He's from here now. Um, and he moved out here for freedom, like so many people have since Alberta was a thing. People came here for freedom. And he came here for freedom during the pandemic because despite what our politicians tried to do, our people remained, as he points out, ungovernable and free. So joining me now in an interview we recorded earlier today is my friend Kian Simone. Take a listen. So joining me now is my friend and colleague, someone I'm very, very proud of, Kian Simone. He's our Rebel News Head of Documentaries. Kian, thanks for coming on the show. I'm so proud of the work that you're doing to tell the stories of everyday Albertans, the sort of people who are mocked and talked down to in the national subsidized media, but even in the local subsidized media. I want to talk to you about your newest documentary. Um, so we'll get into that in a second. But I I think you really serve as a counterbalance to what the subsidized media is doing to the normals of, well, not just Alberta, but, you know, your last two documentaries have really focused on Alberta. But I think the normals of the world, when we take into account your work on the um, Dutch farmer protests. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny when I uh, first started doing documentaries full time for Rebel, I was like, I'm going to be traveling everywhere doing documentaries about everything. And then now I'm it just it's strictly been Alberta. And I think that's great. It's it's helping me learn the, the place that I moved to. Um, but yeah, that's that's exactly right. You look at, uh, I think it was it was you who put the story about how nobody watches the CBC documentaries, and that's something that I really wanted to change when I um, uh, started this adventure. Of I myself don't even watch documentaries. I think they're so boring. I can't get yeah. I can't sit down for an hour and a half and watch something anymore. And I think that's just because of attention span and uh, the way that we consume media. But I wanted to add like another spin to it, where people my age. And people younger than me, and of course, people older than me who could watch it all the way through and, and be able to leave and say, one, I learned something. Two, I now know the truth. And three, I'm going to watch the next one. And uh, I, th I think so far with the last two, and, and um, nobody's seen the second one yet, but I think I've accomplished that, that um, people are going to be start being moved by longer form projects again. You know, it's such a great point because I used to like documentaries. But it felt like I quickly watched all the interesting ones, <laughs> you know, and like it, yeah. an entire world of documentaries. All of a sudden, I was like, there's literally nothing to watch because so many of the documentaries about Canada or producing Canada always have a certain bend to them because they are national film board subsidized. So you're making government content and you're getting a grant from the government and you only get a grant from the government if you're making something the government wants people to see. Um, but in the end, the people really don't want to see it. Although it doesn't matter if it's a commercial success or failure because the taxpayers paid for it all. That's exactly right. And the, the best way to put it is take your most exciting Rebel video and um, I'd say 70% of people would say, oh, I want to watch more of this. This, this is what the documentary adventure at the Rebel News is. It's our most exciting content in long form so you get every single aspect of it and you're right there's no uh the, the government of canada isn't behind a single penny or a single minute or a single second in fact uh it seems as though we specifically produce things that the government hates <laughs> and yeah. hates us for um you know and it's a really great point that 
you know, we have journalists, for example, you were embedded with the Coots border blockade. Um, and Sid Fizard, he was there for uh, over two weeks. I think you were there for nine days and you are rolling film the entire time. Now you might only see five or six minutes of the most interesting things that happened that day in the report that came out of that day. But on any given day, you guys had hours and hours of exclusive footage because the CBC, not only were they not going to make the trek down and just basically move to Coots like you guys did, but nobody trusted them. So they weren't getting the inside story and they were getting the things that they did report on completely wrong. So, you know, for people who have, who, you know, they, they've watched all of our Coots coverage, for example, there's no possible way that they've seen all of our Coots coverage because we even have footage that still didn't make it into the latest documentary. We have hours that um, even, you know, I've only ever seen with my eyes. I, I didn't even go through it on my camera because I just went through what I know of the story. There was so much stuff there of like more hu uh, humanizing things that I couldn't even include, which was my biggest regret. Um, trying to, you know, keep it compact and under four hour documentary. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right. And that's the best part about um, venturing out to these longer projects is you get to put everything into it that uh, otherwise you wouldn't see in a report. And that's why the Coots documentary was the thing because we couldn't even do reports. There was no service. So yeah. I said, I'm going to make one long report. And then I just ended up adding music and I started cutting things out that um, weren't as interesting. So I was able to actually make like a theatrical, I hate that word, but a theatrical uh, version of what the Coots, was, Coots border blockade was. You know, and we've been using Rebel News shorthand when we're saying Coots documentary, but the documentary itself is called Trucker Rebellion, the story of the Coots blockade. And that is available. That's available at truckerdocumentary.com. And even the premiere, the theatrical release of that was a story in and of itself because we had the truckers from the blockade show up in a limo <laughs> and come in as yeah. stars of the show. And we didn't even know that was going to happen. It was excellent. Well, the, the first day that I found out we we're going to have it in theaters, I sneakily texted one of the truckers. I had his number from down there. Um, and I said, hey, I don't know if this would be interesting or, or weird for you, but I think we're going to play this in a theater. You should come. He, he said, yeah, maybe I'll come. Maybe I won't. Like It was kind of still really hot back then of if he should show his face around there, around anything. Sure. And, uh, and then the day of, he's like, do you have an extra ticket? And I was like, I think so. And he's like, okay, well, I, I'm coming with 25 guys. I only have 24 tickets. And I was like, Okay. And then, yeah, they pull up in a limo. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy to see those guys walk in and they walked in like heroes. Um, and it was a, a stark disconnect between how we saw the politicians treating them, how we saw the mainstream media treating them, but how the normals of the world treated these guys. They knew what those truckers had done. They had ended the vaccine passports and all the medical and systemic discrimination that came along with it. They had ended that by their actions at the border and they put themselves at great personal risk to do it. And when, when you saw how the normal people reacted, they knew that they knew the media had been lying to them. They knew that Jason Kenny had been lying to them about what happened at Coots. Um, and it was just so refreshing to see those guys treated like the heroes that they were. Uh, I'll never forget the story when um, after the movie, when we had the Q and a before we got there, um, Three of the truckers came up, um, just walked up on the stage and grabbed a mic. And uh, one of them was saying how he had a two-week-old baby when the when the coot started. 
and he left two week old baby for 17 days um, to what he said was fighting for other people's freedom. Well, and his baby's freedom too, I guess, you know, you, you see your baby and you, you know, that's when, you know, you see your kids, I'm a parent of three and it's quickly one of those things that makes you realize that the future matters, not just the present, because you can sort of power your way through a, through a busy day or a terrible day, but you want to make the world a better place for your kids. Um, which I think is a good segue into your next documentary. People can find out the details at, and I know this URL, albertadocumentary.com. And it's really the story of Albertans wanting to decide our own future, whatever that might look like. And that we are going to have these conversations, no matter who tells us to shut up. Tell us about your new documentary. Yeah, well, it was uh, it was supposed to be just about Alberta independence today. Um, you know, what are the what are the big names saying? What are what are the smaller names saying? What are the the local Albertans saying? Um, what are the lawyers saying? What are the politicians saying about it today? And my first interview was Derek Fildebrandt, the Western Standard, and uh, he answered none of those questions. He went back 117 years. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell did I just get myself into? So um, going forward, I started uh, taking apart Derek's interview and forming different questions of um, where has Albert, Alberta come from? And so in the documentary, it goes from the past 117 years, all the mishaps from um, joining the Confederation to the United Farmers of Alberta, um, Hardee's, um, over to the National Energy Program, then to Brian Mulroney, then to the Reform Party. And then we're getting into um, NDP and, and the Flora Crossing and the fall of the progressive conservatives into the UCP. And then we're an hour and a half into the documentary and people are like, OK, now we can talk about Alberta independence. But we need to set it up first because um, independence is such a broad subject that I before would have said that it meant um, in, like independence from Canada as in separation but it's totally not even close to that when you just say that independence word. And that was why I asked everybody in the documentary is what does independence mean to you? Because like I said before, I would have said separatism. And now I say it's just about making our own decisions. And that's sure something really easy to say is making your own decisions, but it goes all the way down from um, being a part of the, uh, the pension plan to collecting your own income tax to a provincial police force. You can go on and on and on about all these like small minuscule things that, Albertans don't have that, let's say Quebec has, or that we um, can't seem to get our oil and gas pumping up again uh, in the way that it should or used to. or um, And that's because of the federal government and us not being able to make our own decisions. Uh, so yeah, it goes through every aspect that you can possibly think of, um, some more than others that uh, people were more uh, able to talk to and that I could keep under. Again, it would have been a four-hour documentary if I wasn't there every single day for a month cutting it down. Um, because Albertans have a lot to say, and it was cool for me to um, be the one to help them say it uh, in a in a different light or a different view. And in this case, a long form documentary because I'm from Ontario, and I moved here last year um, because Alberta is the land of second chances. And I think that that's really what the documentary is about: is Alberta wants a second chance. That's a great point, and you know we we just chose, or at least members of the United Conservative Party just chose a new leader, so a new premier, who, as we're filming this, is currently being sworn in. Um, and she, Danielle Smith, is getting her second chance also oh, yeah. because of her Big floor time. crossing. 
Um, she crossed the floor in, I think, 2014 to join the progressive conservatives against the will of the grassroots of the party. She was tossed out of her own party. She lost her nomination. The PCs lost the leadership or the the election to the NDP. We had four dark years and a lot of people attributed that to Danielle Smith's floor crossing. But this is a place of redemption. This is a place that no matter what, you can't keep us down. Send us another Trudeau. <laughs> and they might knock us down, but we'll get back up again. Um, well, I want to add to that point. Um, please do. Sorry to yeah. cut you off no, there. No, um, the, the, it wasn't just Daniel Smith that caused that NDP election. Now that I've learned mm -hmm. um, going back, it was really a lot of protest vote. And it was because the PCs were stale. The progressive conservatives sure. are very stale. It was 44 year reign and nothing was really changing. Um, you know, we had all of the prime ministers that were supposedly on our side, you know, from Brian Mulroney up until Stephen Harper. And Stephen Harper did a lot of good things. Brian Mulroney didn't, um, but it all got reversed. So they were looking on the inside and saying, we need a breath of fresh air. So a lot of the votes that went to the NDP was kind of like a middle finger to the conservatives who weren't helping them. And I think that that just goes to, to the name of the documentary. Um, even though that people didn't really know what they were getting into voting for the NDP, they did it because they were, quote unquote, ungovernable. If you're not going to govern us, then we're going to find somebody who can. And, it's, and that just plays into the whole Jason Kenney thing as well. He didn't govern us properly, so people kicked him out. Yeah, there's a lot of people who voted for the NDP out of protest. There are also, I think, just as many people who voted for the Wild Rose out of protest of what Danielle Smith did. And it reflected in the vote count when the Wild Rose actually gained more seats with Brian Jean as a leader. Um, after Danielle Smith was tossed out, burned the party to the ground, he sort of yanked it out of the fire, put it back together and formed a more formidable opposition than she had. Because again, you're not going to tell us what to do without asking us what we want to do, which has been the story of Alberta since we joined Confederation. And it's why all these protest parties are born here. Um, you know, the reform grew here, was born here. Wild Rose was a protest party to the corruption and stagnation of the old PCs. Um, and it should be a lesson to Daniel Smith going forward that, okay, you are going to get thrown out if you don't do the things that you say you're going to do, like what just happened to Premier Jason Kenney. But also, Albertans are willing to burn it all down rather than violate their conscience. And Albertans are um, one of the only people that I know who would be able to build it back up properly. Yeah. That's, That's why I don't point. think that they have much fear of burning it all down to the ground. Now, what was the one like you? I I say this all the time every time I interview, but I'm always so fascinated because you don't come from here, but you're from here now. We like having you here. You're one of us. You're I call you a born again Albertan. I think that's what you describe yourself as. How much did you know when you came here? Like how much you obviously knew everybody knows that Albertans are prickly and we don't like it here <laughs> for a, <laughs> a bunch of different reasons. But how much did you know when you came here about just how much we really don't like the deal we're getting with Confederation? You know, if you asked me four years ago, it would have been this place is full of rednecks. But if you asked me when COVID started, it was I knew that the rednecks just wanted to be left alone. And so when COVID did start um, and my local Walmart got taped up for non-essential items, I went there for laundry detergent and I couldn't buy it. That night, I called my girlfriend and I said, I'm leaving. And the next day I did leave. I had nowhere to go, nowhere to stay. And I knew that I had to get to Calgary because 
I could set myself up as a base there, and then I would be able to move out of the city and be left alone. And that's really, as you would sum it up, and as I sum it up, that's what Albertan is. And I didn't, I didn't necessarily know. I just knew that it was a concept here that people wanted to be left alone, but I didn't understand that it was like a, a legit political standpoint. Like, leave us the hell alone, stay off our lawn, and stay out of our pockets. But it doesn't go to show, like, when you say prickly, that doesn't mean your neighbor. That doesn't mean the person down the street. And that doesn't even mean someone who disagrees with you. Like, Albertans are so welcome. And I didn't think that before I came here. I didn't. I really didn't think that that would be the case. That this is, like, the place in Canada with the nicest people possible who will do anything for you if you're in trouble. Who, if the community has something going wrong with them, they're the first person to stand up. And I learned a lot of that, actually, not just when I came here, but during Coots Blockade. When Milk River had the um, the neighboring protest, when they weren't allowed past the police um, barricade, they there was a legit town there that they built of people who were cooking for each other and praying together. And it was like, it was, it was such a weird thing to me that I knew that that would never happen in Ontario. It would never happen in Quebec. And I would go to show that it might not even happen in Saskatchewan. That Alberta may just be the place that that can only happen because the people here are so welcoming until you reach into their pocket for a <laughs> for a bad reason. It, it's true. Um, it's we're this strange contrast, but I think it comes down to don't tell us what to do because we know what's best for ourselves. That um, community, having a sense of community and being a community does not necessarily require a government telling you to be a community and looking out for each other does not require a premier scolding us and telling us to stay home because that's the best way to look out for each other. And I I think that's one of the reasons why us Albertans were just so darn ungovernable during the pandemic lockdowns is because no, we already know how to look out for each other and we like being part of a community. Um, So don't tell us to deconstruct our community for reasons that don't make any sense to us. Exactly. I don't even think I have an answer to that. You just, that was wasn't perfect. a question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and you know, like when you moved here, you sort of moved before Jason Kenny really started his pandemic crackdown. He brought me here. Yeah. Cause he sort of fancied himself. It was, to be it was the literally home. him. Yeah, it was literally what he said. He said there will not be vaccine passports here. I think it was actually the first kind of nudge was when he called out the Great Reset. Yeah, Um, to the public, like it it wasn't a hidden thing where he called it out. He really sustained his Christmas address. (laughs) Yeah, that's that exactly. And that was like, okay, I'm going there. Um, You know, America's got Trump. I'm going Alberta. Yeah, this was 2019 or uh, when he said it It was December of 2020. Was it? Yeah, yeah, 2020. America had Trump. I'm going to the Canadian Trump. And I got here and um, there was a little bit of lockdowns that I kind of understood at the time. Like not, um, I don't say I was pro lockdown, but like I just kind of understood the. You uh, had to have some for, yeah, so many to people placate, in a store. Yeah, to placate yeah. the fear or whatever. Yeah. But it wasn't terrible here just when I first got here. There was a little bit of lockdown, but it wasn't terrible. It was still livable. And Jason Kenney was still, you know, not backing down on anything. And he's like, we're going to open. And we did open for the summer. Uh, what was it, the best summer ever or whatever? Open for summer. Yeah. Um, then came and, the fall of our discontent. <laughs> yeah. And then I was, I was, you know, I was bragging to all my friends, bragging to my family. I was like, Haha, keep those masks on, losers. And, I'm, you know, I'm in Banff just parting it up. Yeah. And then, what was September? 
19th happened. And yeah, yeah lockdown. No longer Trump. <laughs> you know what, though? Regardless of what our politicians wanted us to do, um, they do not define us. And that, I think, speaks to... It, it comes through in your documentary that, you know, there are politicians who tried to tell us what to do. They tried to be the saviors of Albertans. But, um, you know, in the lockdowns, you... you our politicians may have been telling us how many people we could have in our house, but we weren't following those rules. They were telling us, you know, don't feed your unvaccinated friends and neighbors in your restaurant in small town, middle of nowheresville, Alberta. But they sure were. They were telling our pastors to turn away congregants, but they weren't. Um, and so even when our politicians, whom we thought were OK, showed us they weren't, um, it didn't matter because they are not what defines the people of this province. And that's why it's the best place in Canada. That's why I named my documentary Ungovernable. <laughs> now, tell us, how do people get uh, tickets to the documentary? Because as we're filming this, we're filming this on Tuesday, but it'll go to air on Wednesday. And we have a, do we have a showing in Calgary on Wednesday, but that showing is already sold out. So we have two uh, more showings. They're both very different. They're in the Edmonton area, um, but there's something for everybody there. Yeah, so on uh, next week, October 19th, we're at Buffet Royale. Uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a legit buffet, and it is delicious. It's amazing. And uh, it's a very nice, small, intimate room um, with 100 other people. And uh, yeah, we get to watch it on multiple screens. It's a great sound system, and you get to eat all you can eat, fries and chicken wings and beef ribs. Everything. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Uh, tickets at albertadocumentary.com for that. And Ezra's um, coming for that. Ezra's coming for that showing. So it's going to be great. Um, you get to see exactly how much he eats, when, <laughs> when he can eat, how much he wants to eat. And uh, then we'll have a Q&A session afterwards. Sorry to interrupt. Keep going. I, I'm, I'm sure he um, somewhat just doesn't, uh, not that he doesn't like it, but I'm sure there's something in, inside of him. It's like, okay, people stop talking to me. I want to eat now. I know, I know. It's I like know. whenever Ezra's out, everybody's like, "Hi, Ezra, you're my, you're my hero. You're my, you're the best." I know. And he's he's like, trying yep, to eat a yep. beef rib. <laughs> uh, their second show is at Church in the Vine, um, my favorite church, mm -hmm. in Edmonton on October 30th. That's a Sunday. Um, that is a huge room, huge screen, huge sound system. It's family friendly. You can bring your kids or your grandma. Um, and uh, tickets are cheaper on that one. We and we. Give you a pop and drink, pop and a pop and pop and popcorn. Yeah, pop and popcorn or pop and chips. But there's popcorn. I know because I have to pick up the like 50 pound bag of popcorn and lug it in. Uh, <laughs> that's my duty for that. So I think that one is very affordable, very family friendly. It's for it's twelve dollars a ticket, including a drink and a treat. So and there's a and a after that as well. Yes. And they are the best church. Uh, they're just recovering from an $80,000 fine Alberta government for refusing to turn away their congregants and for uh, shooing away health inspectors during uh, church services. So um, they are also uh, ungovernable in the sense that they are obedient to God above all else. The best. The um, best. I feel so terrible um, plugging this after that, but, uh, we also have uh, merch for the documentary, uh, our ungovernable T-shirts. Uh, yes. If you're watching this and you're coming, definitely pick one of those up because those are so cool. 
They are. They, and they're not just, you know, if you have friends in other parts of the country who want to be left alone as much as me and Kian do, um, they're not, they're not, I mean, if you're Albertan, you'll know, you'll recognize the, the image as distinctly Albertan. But if you're just somebody who wants to be left alone in the other parts of the country, the t-shirts are perfect. They're great. Um, I can't wait to get one. I saw the, um, the proofs for it and I'm like, yep, save me a small. <laughs> Um, Kian, uh, I just want to thank you so much for the work that you're doing for Rebel News and uh, as an Albertan for telling our stories. Um, it's difficult for us to trust outsiders, but you're definitely not an outsider anymore. Um, we get a lot of people from other parts of the country telling us how to think and how to be and how to feel and defining who we are. Um, but you hit the ground running as an Albertan and um, we're so glad to have you. I appreciate that, Sheila. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. You got it. We'll talk again very soon. Remember, if you want information on tickets and showtimes for the last two showings of Ungovernable, Alberta's Quest for Independence, it's really easy. Just go to albertadocumentary.com and I do hope to see you there. Now, this is the portion of the show where we welcome your viewer feedback. Unlike the mainstream media, we actually care about what you think, about the work that we're doing. And so that's why I give out my email address at the end of every show. If you have a question, comment, story idea, or viewer feedback that you want read on air, it's really easy. Send it to Sheila at rebelnews.com. That's my direct email. And please put gun show letters in the subject line so it's easy for me to find. Not that I'm lazy. I just get a lot of emails. So I got a ton of emails and feedbacks on my interview last week with DJ Sumanik. He is otherwise known as or formerly known as Yukon Strong on Twitter. He's a firearms rights activist and hunting guide and just an all around generally good guy. And uh, I've got a bunch of letters. So I'll read two. One's long, one's short both great. First one is from Mark Murray. Mark says, hey, Sheila, great show regarding firearms on Wednesday. I caught your show on a podcast as my schedule as a trucker. We love truckers over here at Rebel News. Keeps me busy and sometimes unable to see the video show. As a firearms owner, I'm deeply concerned with this legislation. In my opinion, the liberals are trying to disarm the country because an unarmed citizen is very easily controlled. Australia is a perfect example of the powers the government takes when citizens cannot defend themselves. Yeah, we've seen some gruesome images come out of Australia over the course of the pandemic. Mark says, I like guns and I love meat. Well, Mark, I think we're kindred spirits. I've been fortunate enough to be able to try venison, moose, caribou, and even the caribou's tongue. My boss in Yellowknife in 2019 treated us to a caribou stew at the end of the ice road season. <sighs> the tongue has a different taste, but I did enjoy it. I hope to get back to Yellowknife soon again and get away from Ontario where I currently live. Doug Ford is just a Trudeau admirer. And as a province, I think things will get worse before they get better. More importantly, I'm stocking up on ammunition for my firearms as I want protection for myself and family if shit does hit the fan. Anyway, I'm rambling on, but always know you have supporters like me on your side. Cheers, Mark Murray. Well, Mark, that's very kind. Um, I think it's good to be uh, self-sustaining and it's good to not rely on others for your food or your personal protection. I think we learned a lot about how the police are not always reliable from the Uvalde, Texas situation where they waited outside until somebody else barged in and tried to save the lives of children. And we've got one more from Jeff. 
Jeffrin writes to me and says, excellent interview with DJ. The clip of, with Mendicino, that's Marco Mendicino, um, talking to constituents in his riding. And the constituents told him, your gun ban isn't going to work. We need to focus on other issues like why are kids shooting up playgrounds? Why are they joining gangs? Um, but uh, apparently Mendicino didn't take that to heart because apparently people like me, well, we're still the problem. Anyways, the clip with Mendicino in his writing was very revealing how his constituents are aware of the real problem. I was glad to hear DJ mention that his gun ban is about civil disarmament. It is indeed. Why else would you be focusing on the most law-abiding section of the population and not the actual criminals? In fact, the criminals are getting an easier ride. The mandatory minimum sentences for uh, gang-related gun crimes, they're decreasing while the liberals are simultaneously criminalizing people for continuing to own something that they lawfully obtained a while ago. It's paper criminals versus real criminals. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next week. Thanks to everybody in Toronto and around the country for putting the show together. And remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think. 